Well, friends, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. We are in week 8 of a series going through Jonah entitled Mercy Upon Mercy. Uh, Today we are looking at the prayer in Jonah 2, this week and next week. Now, if you're keeping count or if you remember last week, we looked at the same passage. Uh, So we're going to be three weeks, actually, in this passage, last week, this week, and next week. Um, That's a lot, three weeks. Why? Well, you know, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. uh, So we're going to be in the belly of this chapter for three weeks. Uh, Today, we are looking at the prayer. And then next week, we are going to look at the discovery. And so although we were just standing and we sat down, I encourage you, would you stand with me once more? Your standing is a recognition that we are reading and receiving God's word. It is an act of worship for our God speaks to us. So friends, actually reading and beginning with chapter 1, verse 17, hear now God's holy word. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Would you join me in prayer once more? Father, we ask for your abundant blessing upon now the preaching of your holy word. I pray that it is more valuable to us than the bread we eat and the water we drink, and the air we breathe, that as we listen to you, O Holy Spirit, uh, speaking to us in your living word, that you would confront us, and you confront us uh, where we are. For some, that would be to challenge us. For some, it would be to comfort us. For some, it would be to encourage us. Uh, but to all, it would be to edify us. And so I pray, O God, that in the preaching now of your word, you would give to us attentive hearts, ears, minds, Uh, So we would receive what it is you desire to give us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 16-year-old Barry had just received his learner's permit and uh, wanted to get all the experience he could before he passed his driver's license test. So one Sunday morning uh, before church, he offered to his mother, uh, how about I drive to church? And considering that church was only about 10 minutes away, she agreed and handed the keys over to her son. Well, 20 minutes later, they arrived in church, but it was a long, arduous journey, dizzying drive filled with abrupt stops and sudden bursts of accelerations, really jerky turns and way too many um, near collisions with lampposts and curbs and other cars and people. So finally, Barry pulled into the church, parked the car, turned off this engine, and his mom said, thank you very much. 
No problem, Barry responded. His mother said, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God. We all know instinctively um, that we pray, we call out to God when times are scary, when times are tough, when times are unsure. You know, nobody has to teach us to pray. It's a natural reaction in times of panic, fear, or urgency. People call out, God, help me. You know, even if they say they don't believe in God, people always seem to cry out to him in moments of trouble and desperations. Oh, God. People don't have to be taught to call out to God, but we all need to be taught what to say to him. You see, you may know that you should pray, but you may not know how to pray. Especially when times are tough, when circumstances are difficult, when life is filled with so many uncertainties. Often Christians know that prayer is the answer, but they don't know what to pray and how they should be praying. When the valleys of life are deep and the storms are strong, words, the appropriate words, the words we want to pray often feel like they're on a shelf, a little bit too high for us to reach and grab. But thankfully, some of you may have been comforted before by this very promise. It's the promise given in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. There in that chapter, Apostle Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I really love this promise. What it's saying is when you can't find the words to speak, when the, 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 the laments of your heart are simply too much, they're inexpressible, when sorrows leave you speechless, that you can lean on the Holy Spirit who prays for you with groans that are too deep for words. What a promise, isn't it? But as encouraging as that is, groans are not the way that God expects us to pray ordinarily. You see, the promise of Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit will intercede with groans too deep for words is a promise that after you've searched for the words to pray, after you've felt all of these emotions and you're looking to God, when you simply can't say anything, Romans 8 is saying God's not going to hold that against you. God's not in heaven like a parent listening to their child talking and muttering and stuttering and going, well, I don't understand what you're saying. Use your words. No, our father in heaven, he hears us in our stuttering and our inability to, to talk, but the spirit intercedes for us and God listens. But under every ordinary circumstance, God expects you to pray with words and not just groans. You know, many of us, and I love this about the Christian faith, that our fellowship, blessed be God, is based around food. That's a great aspect of Christianity, isn't it? And when we eat a meal together, it's not strange for somebody to pray for the food. You know, as the pastor, I'm often called, you know, I'm called to preach and I'm called to pray for food. That's, those are my two job descriptions. But, you know, I imagine that when you guys go and eat and the pastor's not there, that somebody's praying for the food. But how many of you would volunteer to pray for the food and then simply stay in a restaurant uh, and groan for 30 seconds? Not only would that be extremely awkward, it would be totally unhelpful. It would be confusing. Why are you groaning? What is your groaning expressing? You see, we are told that the Holy Spirit groans for us, but actually when we're instructed to pray, when Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, when he gives us a model prayer, what does he say? Well, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus instructs, pray then like this. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he goes on in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. He gives us words. He expects us to pray with our words. Now, why are words so important when we pray? Why isn't groaning simply sufficient? Well, because words help us frame our experience and they help us express and identify our emotions. Now, today I want to talk about praying, but praying when we're caught in the belly of the fish. Sometimes it's much easier when the skies are blue, there's not a single cloud, and the sunshine is down. When you're on a beach in Fiji, it's easy to pray. But when the sky is dark, the sun is blotted out, and the cold darkness of the belly of the fish, how do you pray? How can you cry out to God in those moments? You know, that's Jonah's situation. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, we read, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That the occasion for Jonah's prayer came out of an experience of deep and intense suffering and darkness. Jonah had endured the judgment of God in the storm. He was thrown overboard, but he was saved from his drowning. But how does God save him? He doesn't send a hundred foot uh, luxurious yacht to come pick him up. God doesn't send him a jet ski, not even a canoe, not even a floating piece of driftwood. God sends him a fish. But even then, Jonah isn't like Aquaman who's riding on top of the fish. He caught a ride in the fish. Now, often when we imagine such a scenario, we might think of, you know, something like a scene from SpongeBob or, you know, where they're underground, they're in a fish and everything is comfortable. But I imagine in the fish, there wasn't carpeting. There weren't lights. There weren't scented candles. The fish was cramped, smelly, uncomfortable, incredibly dark for three days. I imagine it was something like being put in a coffin with a couple of fish thrown in, the lid closed over you and then buried into the ground. For those of you who are claustrophobic, I mean, even the description seems a little, makes you feel a little antsy. And yet Jonah in this physically tight circumstance and situation, this dark, cold, and isolated uh, experience, he manages to pray. Right, we're told in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And that's the big question for us. How in the world, when Jonah is in the midst of this kind of difficult situation, is he able to pray? Because I found myself in such situations of desperation and fear and utter despair and darkness, and I can't find the words. Maybe you've been in a, such, uh, a similar situation. How is Jonah able to bring and articulate his thoughts and the things going on in his and it's actually quite simple. I'll tell you the answer. You know how Jonah was managed to pray in this kind of situation? It's because he stole his prayer. Jonah's words are borrowed words. Did you know that? Did you notice that? The prayer in Jonah 2 is simply a recycling of various psalms. Jonah was able to pray in the midst of great distress, not because he was able to put together this eloquent, beautiful prayer on his own, but simply because he took the words from the Bible and made them his own. Now, I want to do a little exercise with you. I'm going to recite a prayer, a prayer that I wrote, but uh, make no mistake, by no means is this a Christian or biblical prayer. It's an exercise. So I spent some time this week and I composed a prayer entirely of song lyrics. I'm going to read you this prayer. 
Again, it is not a Christian prayer. <laughs> but I'm going to read you this prayer, and I want to see if you can identify uh, the song references, right? So try to, try to identify how many song references there are, and bonus points for you who can identify what the song is and who sings it. So here we go. Here's a, a very non-Christian prayer. Dear God, things are so difficult that I wonder, is this the real life or is this just fantasy? You know that I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. How much longer, Lord, I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So I confess that I need you and I miss you. And now I wonder, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. God, help me let it go. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Help me trust you instead and believe that you will raise me up so I can stand on mountains. And you'll raise me up to walk on stormy seas. Okay, so in that little exercise, how many song references were you able to identify? Some of you worldly people know all of them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of you who are familiar with pop culture, you're familiar with these songs, you picked up on seven references. Others of you who have no idea, don't listen to pop music, you miss them all. <laughs> but the point is this, the point of this exercise with this was this. The more familiar you are with song lyrics, the easier it is for you to spot them out when you hear them. Some of you know these song lyrics so well that even in their modified, uh, edited, changed form, uh, even when I changed the wording, changed the tenses, you were still able to spot them. And others of you have no idea. I bring this up because sadly, we are a generation who knows thousands of song lyrics far better than we know 150 psalms that God has provided us. But you have to understand this for the ancient reader. They knew the psalms by heart. Jonah knew the Psalms in his heart. And therefore, when we read Jonah's prayer, we miss out on all of the various references and allusions to the Psalms that were very clear to the ancient reader, that were very clear to Jonah himself. It's because we are so unfamiliar with the Bible and we're especially so unfamiliar with the Psalms that we don't pick up on it. But I want us to take a look. In this section uh, of this sermon is a little long, but I want to spend time because we're so unfamiliar with it, taking Jonah's prayer and seeing where from the Psalms he is drawing out his words. From where is he borrowing his words? So let's begin. Jonah prays in verse two. He prays, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Jonah is drawing a prayer from Psalm 18. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I, crawled for, I cried for help. In verse three, Jonah prays. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He's quoting Psalm 88. You have put me in the depths of the pit and in the regions dark and deep. In Psalm 42, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Praise in verse four. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Where did that come from? Psalm 31. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. 
but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Verse 5, 6, and 6a. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. He is drawing from Psalm 69. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. We keep going. Verse 6b, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Quoting Psalm 30. O Lord, you have brought my soul from Sheol. You've restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Quoting Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Psalm 18, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Psalm 31, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. Verse 9a, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Psalm 50, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And he concludes the prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. Quoting Psalm 3, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Every single line of Jonah's prayer was inspired by a song. None of it was original to him. Out of his great distress and desperation, Jonah was able to pray, respond to God, because he simply prayed the words of God back the God. The psalm supplied the words for Jonah. And because he knew them so well, because he was so familiar, because he was so intimate with the words in that time of greatest need, in that desperate situation, when he was searching for words and he couldn't articulate his own, he grabbed what he knew in the psalms and he brought that to God and he prayed that to God. He made those written words his prayers. My question is, friends, do we do that with the psalms? When you can't seem to find the words to speak, do you know that God wants you to borrow his words, his cries, his laments? You know, too many times we have such an unfamiliarity with the Psalms, uh, particularly because many of us have a disinterest in the Psalms. We'd much rather do a QT in, our, in the Gospels, right? Action, that's good. You know, where is Jesus in this? Well, Jesus is walking. Oh, there he is. We'd much rather the propositional format of the epistles, Paul telling us what the point is. We can draw out six applications. We go to the Psalms and we read this and go, what is this? And why are there so many of them? How do I pray this? How do I make this mine? We have such a disinterest in the Psalms. They seem so far from us. But do you know that when God gave the book of Psalms to Israel, he gave it to Israel as Israel's songbook. It was God's authorized lyrics for them to sing back to him, to pray to him. You know, in our uh, own slides, when you're looking and you're reading uh, the lyrics right underneath, you'll, have, you'll see all this in, in smaller font, all of this uh, copyright information, CCI numbers, licensing numbers, uh, reproduction, uh, streaming license numbers. And the reason we do that is to give credit to the people who wrote the song. And of course, we pay a subscription fee for the service and then the artists get the royalties, so on and so forth. But in the book of Psalms, God's lyrics given to us require no license. God's lyrics given to us is considered a public domain, free for all, written for your use. When you pray the Psalms back to God, you don't have to worry about plagiarism. The Psalms given to you is God's provision. 
You don't have the words to speak. God's saying, here are the words to pray back to me. This is God's grace to us. Have you ever been to the doctors because you were suffering from immense pain? Or maybe you went to the dentist, you had a severe toothache. And if you've gone, I mean, I, I've experienced this where you go, I had an infection once and I was saying, you know, well, doctor, you know, I'm in so much pain. She's like, how much pain? And I'm like, well, a lot. And she's like, well, you know, what's your pain threshold? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'd like to think I'm a man's man and that I have a good pain threshold. And then, uh, so she brought up this little chart. Maybe you've seen it. It's a pain assessment chart. It's numbers one to 10. And it's like, you know, like no pain and it's severe pain. And there's one to 10. And then there are these different faces, right? So number one under no pain is like a smiley face with the, you know, I smile and, you know, life is good, no pain. And then as you go to severe, more and more severe pain, the face gets more and more red. Uh, and then the frown, you know, turns up, or the, the smile turns into a, a frown. And slowly uh, more and more teardrops are added under the eyes. And the whole point is they give you that and say, well, when you can't tell me how much you hurt, point, right? Show me where you think on the scale you are. You're saying, I can't explain it, I can't articulate it, but this is the pain I feel. Well, friends, that's exactly what the Psalms are. When you can't describe what you are enduring or experiencing, when you feel like you can't speak and all you can do is groan, God gives you the Psalms and he says, show me. Show me what you're going through. I'll give you the words when you don't have them yourself. Now, remember Jonah. We can't forget where Jonah is. He's in the cold darkness of a great fish's belly. He's alone. He's afraid. He's abandoned. He's in despair. He's stuck. He has no idea what's going, what's happening to him. He has no idea where he's going, where he's headed. He has no idea about anything. So from the belly of the fish, he prays to God. He draws on the Psalms. He says, God, I'm feeling this. And I'm feeling this. And I'm feeling this. Now, none of us here will ever go through an experience exactly like Jonah. But all of us have been in a place of fear. All of us have been in a place of anxiety, uncertainty, forsakenness, confusion. That part isn't foreign to you. You've all felt great despair before, desperation. You've all felt anxiety and abandonment. And in those situations, isn't it so honest because it's so ironic that in those moments where prayer is the thing that you should do most, often prayer feels like the one thing that you can't do. When you know you should pray, it's the very hardest to actually pray. And in those moments, God gives you his words. The psalm helps you express your frustrations and your fears in God-approved ways to bring your doubts and your distress to him. This is God's act of grace to you, his help for you. God says to you, as a loving and caring father to you, his children, he says, I know how scary this moment is. I, own, I know in this moment you feel abandoned and like nobody has your back. You feel betrayed and rejected. I, I know you're feeling discouraged and depressed and defeated. I know you're questioning whether I'm all good or not. And I know you're questioning whether I'm all powerful or not. But come talk to me about those things. And if you don't have the words to speak, I'll supply them for you. God is saying to you that if you're in a moment right now and you're just simply asking why and you don't know and you, and you just have all these thoughts and questions in your head, God says, well, why don't you try on Psalm 10 verse 1 for size? 
Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? God's saying, you're wrestling with and you're asking just how much longer? So God says, why don't you try this on for size? Psalm 13, verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long would you hide your face from me? When you're looking around and you're saying, God, where's your love? Where's your care for me? He says, why don't you pray Psalm 89? Lord, where's your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? My point, friends, is that God has given us 150 psalms to pray back to him. And it's important, actually, that they all weren't written by David. And if all 150 psalms were written by David, then we would only have access to one man's emotions, one man's experience. But God in his wisdom employed various people to author various psalms, which means there's a prayer for every emotion you feel and every experience you undergo. There is a psalm for you today. There is a psalm and a prayer for you. Do you want to grow in your prayer life? Do you want to pray without ceasing? Do you want to be able to pray in every season of the soul? Then turn to the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Love the Psalms. Memorize the Psalms. And then pray the Psalms. And if I have a, can make a confession, our, our church is going through the Bible reading plan. Um, the past month has been really good. We've been in Matthew. It's been very good. The month before that, we were in Leviticus, and it's a little hard. And often I get to the weekends, which are the Psalms, and I don't know about you, but it's like a freebie. I'm like, okay, I can read this in 35 seconds and, and, and go on in the day. But I want to encourage you, if this is you, one practical exercise to do is to take the Psalm. And as you are meditating through it, as you're journaling, however you do it, turn that Psalm into a prayer. Right? Don't, don't simply read it and say, okay, well, I'm done. And, you know, I've done my devotion. Turn your psalms into prayers. And then have that as access for you to turn God's words and bring them back to God as words of prayer. But before we conclude, you know, I just want that, to, that, that's an application, an exhortation. Let me end with this comforting truth. This comforting truth we all need to know. This story of Jonah, uh, we, we talked about this last week, that Jesus himself says, in a confrontation with the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew 12, Jesus says this. He says, For just as Jonah was there, uh, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And you know, when Jesus says this in the New Testament, he's making it clear that Jonah pointed to the coming Son of Man. Jonah's experience set a pattern for Jesus to follow and to fulfill in his own experience, right? That he would be buried and that he would rise again from the dead, just as Jonah was um, into the belly of the fish and emerged three days later. So Jesus is saying that I am the greater Jonah, that everything, this pattern uh, is fulfilled in me. But do you also know what Jesus is saying? By claiming to be the greater Jonah, Jesus is also saying, just as Jonah prayed the Psalms in his despair and suffering, so too the Son of Man will pray the Psalms in his most difficult moment. You see, there on Calvary's Hill, when Jesus was enduring the cross, and crucifixion for your sin and for my sin, Jesus was experiencing far more than the physical torment of Roman crucifixion. Jesus was experiencing the inner agonies of abandonment and rejection. And do you know that Jesus, in his moment of great suffering, that he also borrowed the Psalms as his prayer? 
What is the most famous saying of Jesus on the cross? Well, we read it in Matthew. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know those words weren't original to Jesus? They weren't his words. Jesus, in that moment of great pain and agony, was actually borrowing the very words of David from Psalm 22, where we read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Jesus himself was drawing from the Psalms, making his prayer. There on the cross, we read in Luke 23, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The very last words of Jesus. Before he breathed his last and laid low his head, turned the Psalms into a prayer. He was praying Psalm 31 verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Now, why is this so important? It's not enough to simply say, Jonah prayed the Psalms, and so you, Christian, go and pray the Psalms. Well, then we say, oh, we need to be Christ-centered. Well, Jesus and Jonah prayed the Psalms, so you go and pray the Psalms. No, but we must go further than that. Because the gospel is saying that when Jesus came as a greater Jonah, here's what this means. When Jesus came as a greater Jonah, when he prayed the Psalms on the cross, he was experiencing and enduring the fullest sting the greatest agony and the heaviest weight captured in each and every psalm. Every experience, every emotion that the psalms articulate, Jesus himself took on in order to empty its power over you. So when you read the psalms in your moment of despair and abandonment and rejection and betrayal, Jesus on the cross, when he prayed the psalms for you, took on the ultimate despair and rejection and abandonment. That when you feel betrayal, and rejection, and hurt, and pain. That Jesus on the cross took the ultimate betrayal, rejection, hurt, and pain, so that those things cannot end you. You see, friends, Jesus took the very worst of every psalm, and he endured it to the fullest so that nothing but its shadow would befall you. And this means when you pray, and you have no words to articulate when your emotions and your experiences are, are so suffocating, overwhelming, that you need to borrow words that you will never drown in those experiences because Christ took the worst for you on the cross. That means when you pray with tears and, and, and heartache, you pray with fears and uncertainty and you're reduced to nothing but borrowed words, even then you are not one without hope because Christ has prayed that prayer for you. And so it's okay if you don't have the words to pray. God has supplied them abundantly and given them to you in the Psalms. It's my exhortation, my encouragement, Cornerstone, that you dive deep into the Psalms so that you would emerge with pearls in your prayer. Let's pray.